friends, happy Monday and welcome into Unbossed. I am filling in for the great Nina Turner and I am very grateful to have this opportunity to join you all today because we got some hot stories and also some controversy that I may have stirred a little bit on social media. But still, I would love to get your thoughts on it. So as we go over this next hour, definitely don't don't forget to subscribe, share the stream. Also, send some love in the comments. You know, I like to read them on the breaks. And also, someone here to break it down with me is Rebel HQ contributor, my brother out here, Jackson White. Jackson, oh, you ready for a day? I'm ready. You're right. You did stir up a little, a little controversy on Twitter. You know what I'm saying? But I think it's an interesting subject. It's a beautiful, beautiful day up here in New Jersey. And I'm feeling good, so I'm ready to go. Fantastic. Well, let's go ahead and get it going. It's not very positive, but it is very much our reality. Because we know that in the first 127 days of 2023, well, we've endured at least 191 mass shootings. And Saturday was no reprieve. That's right. On Saturday at a shopping outlet in Allen, Texas, 33-year-old Mauricio Garcia slaughtered eight people with an AR-15 style rifle and a handgun. That is before he was killed. Now this man was clad in tactical gear and the Dallas man, well, he had 10 rifle magazines and six pistols on his body, which really speaks to the extent to which he was likely going to commit crimes and offenses that would result in the loss of human life, which is something we definitely saw. And the interesting part here, is on his vest, he wore this patch here. And as you can see from the photo, RWDS, and this isn't a photo of him, this is a photo of a patch like this. He was wearing that. And we know that RWDS stands for right wing death squad, right wing death squad. That's a term that is used by white supremacists. And so as law enforcement looks into motives, one fact has quickly surfaced, which we can glean from this headline here. Yeah, that's right. The Texas mass shooter posted neo-Nazi content, FBI documents reveal. Yeah, so this is what we know so far. The FBI's review and triage of the subject's social media accounts revealed hundreds of posted postings and images to include writings with racially or ethnically motivated violent extremist rhetoric, including neo-Nazi materials and material espousing the supremacy of the white race, the bulletin reads. Investigators believe the shooter was a neo-Nazi and an incel, according to an internal email circulated by Texas law enforcement. The right, however, is not interested at all in addressing this potential motive and how the rise in white supremacy is helping advance the death of us all by way of these mass shootings. We saw this similarly with the Buffalo shooter who had his own little write up and his manifesto that included a lot of hate filled Nazi white supremacist material. And of course, it would be easier to address that hate and also address guns, but no. No, not the leadership. Even House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, who was shot in a mass shooting in 2017 at that congressional baseball game, he punted. Do you care about motivation? Not, not really. I mean, it's it's obviously you you follow what happened uh, along the way, and you know follow the victims. But um, you know you want to get the facts. And and one of the things that disappoints me the most in so many of these is that. There are people who are very quick to start calling for promotion of their own political agenda before they even know the facts. Uh, this is not a moment for politics. It's, it should be a time for for prayer, and then you know, go get the facts. Go get go get who did it. 
Yeah, I've said on the show before that they weren't put in office to pray. They were put in office to pass policies and laws that protect we the people. But apparently they didn't get that memo and neither did the Texas state leader who represents Allen, which was the area in which there was the mass shooting on Saturday. Yeah, here's Congressman Keith Self basically defending his call to thoughts and prayers. Now, you know, Congressman, that is a common refrain after these incidents, after mass shootings. But many people argue that prayers aren't cutting it. Prayers are not preventing the next mass shooting. What is your response to that criticism? Well, those are people that don't believe in uh, an almighty God who, can, who has, who is absolutely in control of our lives. I'm a Christian, I believe that he is. We have people, though, with mental health that we're not taking care of. Since this nation made the decision that we were going to close the mental health institutions, uh, many of these situations are based on that. Uh, and the people that say, and, and I really, I would like to stay away from the politics today because I want to focus on the victims. All right, so first of all, he's a politician. So staying away from the politics, again, not doing his job. But on top of that, saying that I believe in a God who has absolute control of our lives, then what is the point of having you there? Come on, do your job, speak out, push legislation, do something to protect people because these assault style rifles are not helping improve our society at all. And I would definitely say that the second amendment doesn't cover it. But what it does seem to enable is the NRA and its money to buy our lawmakers. Jackson, your thoughts? Well, you know, God you know, doesn't want lawmakers to do anything except make taxes less for corporations and people who are have swimming in so much liquidation that they'll never go broke. Um, but you know, it's always ridiculous to hear this type of rhetoric because what you pointed out, if God's all in control, then why are you there? But anytime you see a shooting, um, you see the same old story. People who have manifestos online and this guy in particular who had hundreds of postings. And pretty much every time, every example you look at, it's preventable. And we take absolutely no steps towards making things better, whether that be monitoring people's social media harder, looking for keywords. Like, you know, like if someone is talking about white supremacists, this white supremacist, that immigrants suck, whatever it is, maybe they should be monitored a bit more. If that's extreme to you, then maybe we should raise the gun limit to 21 and increase background checks. If you don't want to go the route of like Big Brother spying on everybody's social media, but the bottom line is that nothing's done anytime it happens. And everything in society is inherently political. Every single thing that impacts you, all the issues, what you have access to, even your mental state, how healthy you are mentally can be impacted by what's going on in the political process. So something like this, 190 plus shootings in five months, obviously it's political. How is this not political? But um, this remains the Republican Party's biggest issue, well, abortion and then this. But um, you know, it, it's 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 funny, but it's not funny. But these people really are just clowns. Mm -hmm. They're just clowns. Absolutely, and the thing is, the clownery is right there on the surface. With them pushing, you know, kind of divesting anyone of any kind of abortion rights, saying they care about life. But then on the other, and they're out here collecting money from the NRA when they have blood money 
in their hands when it's a matter of allowing these assault style rifles being out freely in the market when it's completely and totally unnecessary. You know, it just it continues to show you that the Republican Party is not here in any way to look out for we the people. And I don't understand why so many can people continue to vote for these people. What what do you think it is? Because they have not shown to give a damn about you. They'll give breaks to the corporations so it makes sense if you are some, you know, money magnet out there who wants to continue to benefit. But Jackson, why do people continue to vote these individuals in office when they show that they don't care about you and they do nothing to uplift you in any way? I think it's because the majority of them feel like they're voting in their best interest. I think that a narrative is sold to them, including real issues that people face. But depending on what outlets you look at and depending on you know what circumstances you grow up in, what culture you may come up around, you believe that you're voting in your own favor. You know, you really do feel like the opportunities are slipping out of your hands because of black and brown people. But that's really the rhetoric that comes out of people like Tucker Carlson's mouth and anybody else on Fox News. It's not like this is, you know, rare. This is what these outlets say day after day after day. And I think people just buy into it because if not, then you're willingly voting against yourself and that's not really in human nature to hurt yourself on purpose. Absolutely, and also their unwillingness to look into white supremacy. These Nazis, these individuals who are at the root cause of a lot of these mass shootings with these manifestos, the incels, they hate toward women, toward racially marginalized peoples, toward different ethnicities. It's like you have a roadmap for how these people are created. And yet you still, again, do nothing to stop it. Or at least what you're doing is damn sure not working because we continue to have mass shooting after mass shooting. And again, yet nothing is done. And of course, let's go ahead and see about how the leadership there in Texas is doing. Because instead of addressing the assault style rifle access, well, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, he decided to deflect to an entirely different state before raising an entirely different issue. What we've seen across the United States over the past year or two, and that is an increased number of shootings in both red states and blue states. Shannon, we've seen an increased number of shootings in states with easy gun laws as well as states with very strict gun laws. I think that the state in which the largest number of victims have occurred this year is in California, where they have very tough gun laws, where 11 people died. And so one thing that we can observe very easily, and that is there has been a dramatic increase in the amount of anger and violence that's taking place in America. And what Texas is doing in a big time way, we are working to address that anger and violence by going to its root cause, which is addressing the mental health problems behind it. Okay, before we turn to mental health, I can say first off as a Californian, like hell, I'm gonna let Abbott get away with trying to throw California under the bus. Because you know, even if the greatest number of people in any kind of mass shooting occurred this year in California, the reality is California has the most people. So of course, they're gonna have instances that are higher in number than in other states. But I'm sure when we look at per capita, it's a whole different ballpark. And the thing is, is I'm not the only one out here repping for California. Gavin Newsom is too, our governor. Yeah, because he wasn't going to let that whole misinformation slide that Abbott pushed. California governor took to Twitter with the facts. He posted this. Conveniently, in terms of Greg Abbott's little on air clip there, conveniently leaves out the fact that Texas's gun death rate is 73% higher. 
than California's. That's right, don't take the numbers, let's look at the percentages. Accidentally points to exactly why we need federal gun safety laws. That's exactly what Abbott did in pointing out the fact that there are mass shootings that are going on across our country. And the thing is, is that it's these assault style rifles because when they were banned, we didn't have numbers like this. And of course, we're seeing it pop up every time there is a big body count. And it seems like it's every other weekend, if not every other day. Anyway, to the mental health issue. Well, Abbott has been blaming mental health rather than assault style weapons, of course, for some time now. And it's confirmed by this headline, which is almost an exact year old as far as I'm concerned. Check this out. Yeah, Governor Abbott attributes mass shootings to mental health issues a month after cutting $211 million from the Mental Health Commission. This headline came out immediately after Uvalde in May of 2022. Yes, so Abbott's been pointing to mental health for some time now, but he's the one who cut the budget. Gosh, you would think that he would want to invest in mental health, especially if he knows that it's for some reason the cause of all the guns. But of course, well, there's still other lawmakers there in Texas that don't want anything to change. Oh No, no thoughts, no prayers, nothing. What they really want is more guns. Yeah, just listen to State Representative Pat Fallon of the 4th District. All the time, and it's a great place. One thing I'm gonna do, I'm gonna make it a point when they reopen. The premium outlets in Allen. I'm going to go back because we can't let evil, you know, win. We we have to go on and live our lives, and we have to live them smartly, but also courageously, and you know, respect law enforcement. And unfortunately, as Tom Holman said, you know, tomorrow, on Monday, somebody's going to make this political, and they're going to try to take away our constitutional rights, and that's not the the, the way to go here because we are safer as Americans with more firearms in law-abiding citizens' hands. Ah, that's kind of interesting because it's kind of like uh, that there aren't citizens out there who aren't law abiding. Or also, if you have a law abiding citizen with an assault style rifle, isn't there a chance they could suddenly become uh, not law abiding? Like, get out of here with this thought that we need more guns. And also, this push to push away from politicizing as opposed to actually addressing the issues, it is so incredibly played out. Yet the Republicans will keep that beat like nobody's business. Jackson, I saw you shaking your head as that uh, member of legislature there in Texas was spewing the nonsense. Yeah, because it's like, oh, you know, the next thing you know, they're gonna wanna make mass deaths and people running up in school shooting and murdering children political. That's not political, but a transgender campaign with Bud Light is. You know, you're griping week after week, day after day about the fact that Bud Light did a branding campaign. Like they don't do that constantly with all kinds of different people for the simple purpose to make money. That is not political. Uh, If anything, it's cultural, but then you shift over here. People are literally running up, shooting people, killing people, old people, children. Like this isn't normal, but now in America, it is normal. And at at the end of the day, whether it was that guy or Greg Abbott, essentially all they're saying over and over again is, let's just do nothing. Let's just do absolutely nothing whatsoever because there's no perfect solution. Therefore, we shouldn't try anything at all. Just more guns, more death. And and it's really difficult to see like, where is this really going? Because there's nothing, are are we really going to do nothing about this? Is week after week gonna pass, more mass shootings gonna happen? What is five years gonna go by and still nothing's gonna get passed? Like how is the public really gonna respond to this? 
Because I really don't think people are just gonna keep sitting back twiddling their thumbs forever when people like him go on and just say, oh, well, you know, that's not political, but Bud Light trans campaigns, that's political. It's these people are children and you can't take them seriously. It's funny you say that because I would actually think children would be more logical in this situation as opposed to these legislature and also the constituents who are out there uplifting <laughs> the Republican narrative. It's like, get out of here again, the yeah. hypocrisy is glaring and it's in your face. Are you going to tell me that you need an assault style rifle? Sure, go ahead. I actually do not think people need to have guns at all. Um, you know, I get the whole militia thing, Second Amendment. I know it's been bastardized to this point, but at the same time, you don't need an assault style rifle. You can have a handgun. Or and a shotgun. That would be fine. Thank you. Like <laughs> you do not need something that is meant for war. And and it's funny because it's just like I don't understand how people will defend this. And especially when you've seen other countries that initially modeled their constitution after us, initially having that Second Amendment in there, hitting a point where they're like, no, 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 this is absolute nonsense. We get rid of this. Like there is a reason that they got rid of it. Because having a second amendment there that guarantees people to act like they're little members of GI Joe is not safe for any kind of advanced society. Any last thoughts, Jackson? I mean, you, you closed it out perfectly. It's just not safe. And you know, more cancer doesn't cure cancer. It, it's really not complicated. It's not, it's just mm. corruption. There you go, you said it. And we got so much more to say when we get back from this break. In the meantime, please definitely hit us up in the comments. We wanna hear what you gotta say. Welcome back to Emboss, it's Adrian Lawrence filling in for the great Nina Turner. And I wanna thank you all for joining us today and definitely encourage you to get that membership. That's right, your membership will help us challenge the establishment, report on important issues and put together your live shows, the favorites, the clips. Support our mission to drive positive change. Sign up today at tyt.com slash join. Also check out the video on demand if they even make videos anymore. But you definitely know that there is gonna be more of Unboss. That's right, and live, you can always watch those videos on demand. If you miss it uh, on the YouTube channel, find full clips by scanning the QR code here or going to youtube.com slash unbossedtyt. Also, definitely, definitely check out TYT Sports. Yes, that's right, because we now have Emmy Award winning broadcaster Sharon Reed as a contributor on TYT Sports. She's gonna be covering the stories behind the scoreboard, diving into the intersection of sports, social justice, and politics. You will not wanna miss it. Head to youtube.com slash TYT Sports. And speaking of TYT, People out there, at least on tyt.com, Vicky says, love the do, Adrian. Jackson, we have that same weather in Maine right now. Y'all on the East Coast relish it. Live that life. Yeah, man, it's, it, it is, it's exceptionally beautiful today. Like I'm telling you, it makes, oh. it, just, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel better than you thought you could feel. It's, it's a wonderful oh, thing. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Let's get more of it. Sexy yeah. Speed Racer says, isn't it time we put the manufacturers of assault rifles out of business or at the very least nationalize them to remove the profit motive from the sale of these weapons of war. I like all these ideas. And I also love how Cheesecake Brownie's mind works. Says, why did God give them mental health issues? He just contradicts himself. P.S. Adrian, <laughs> love your hair. Thank you so much. You're absolutely right. Twitch said, Dis dissident PM says, I love it when Adrian's a fill-in host. Thank you. Fidlin Nero says, no, you're the fraud. Prayer is for 
getting over trauma, not preventing trauma. That's why the Lord helps those who help themselves and you refuse to help, absolutely. Uh, YouTube super chat, well, Meredith Putman says, it's not the time, if not now, when? They've been saying that since Columbine, <laughs> exactly. Right, they've been saying that since I was what? What, when would that happen in 99, I was five? Yeah. You know what I'm saying, I was five, six years old when that happened and now I'm 31 and it's just, it's happening so much that they can't keep up with it. It's like, all right, all right, keep doing nothing. Seriously. Keep, keep doing nothing. And Jim and Nails says, calling these death cult members clowns is offensive to hardworking circus performers like me, do better. Jackson, that one was directed toward you. So oh. You gotta give them clowns like. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I'm sorry. I do have to come up with a better word. I'll just come up. I'll just say clown in like a, a lesser known language or something. And the audience, that's what I'm happy. <laughs> uh, I, I appreciate the willingness to change, and I would very much like our government to change in terms of how it treats migrants because they are very vulnerable individuals. And on Sunday, at least eight of the migrants that were there in Texas, their lives were stolen after a driver plowed into a group that was waiting at a bus in Brownsville, Texas. Here's the moment right before the crash. Those individuals, yes, those individuals were there uh, waiting at the bus stop. Some 20 people were hit by this man's SUV and the consequences were devastating uh, to the independent. Seven people were killed in the crash, which officials initially said appeared to be intentional. Before an eighth victim succumbed to their injuries in a hospital later on Sunday. At least nine others were hospitalized. Most of the victims were Venezuelan men who had spent the night at the shelter and were boarding a bus to return to downtown Brownsville. Now at the scene, the driver was pinned down on the ground by a group of people and later identified as 34 year old George Alvarez. And you can see from this video here that he was detained. Thirty-four-year-old George Alvarez is also pictured here. Here is his mugshot, and we know that police are working with the Venezuelan consulate as they try to confirm the names and ages of the victims. But law enforcement has been quick to already process the driver and the accountability there. This is for the New York Times. Mr. Alvarez has been charged with eight counts of manslaughter, 10 counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and reckless driving and is remaining behind bars. Chief Felix Saceda of the Brownsville police said on Monday. Police are trying to determine whether the collision was intentional. And that has come into question now because at least one victim said that Alvarez was yelling anti-immigration epithets. 
Yeah, we can turn to the independent. Louise Herrera, who was hit by the SUV on Sunday and suffered a broken arm in the incident, claimed the driver was taunting the migrants before the crash took place. He crossed the street and he hit the gas and he drove by my legs and hurt my arm. The others, he killed almost all of them. Mr. Herrera recalls the driver yelling, you're invading my property. Now this crash comes as the city of Brownsville is dealing with an influx of migrants. Last month, the city issued a disaster declaration after 15,000 migrants, mostly from Venezuela, crossed over in a single week, overwhelming border security. In a normal week, only about 2,000 migrants attempt to cross at Brownsville. That is a lot. And I know we have a lot going on in terms of migrants coming through. But before we jump more into that conversation, I want to stay focused on this incident that took the lives of these eight individuals. Jackson, how does this resonate with you? Well, I guess you know he paid his dues, so he's an acceptable Latino, but the other ones aren't. I guess that's how he saw it because he's very Spanish himself. But outside of that, I don't really see how you can run into that many people accidentally. This reminds me of what's that dude's name from Wisconsin who ran through all those people, Daryl something, or you know, you, I don't know if you remember who I'm talking about, but he ended up in his in a similar position, different reasons. But obviously, this dude is a danger to society, and this is uh, these are who prisons are made for. These are the types of people who should be in jail. Um, but especially given the fact that they heard him screaming anti-immigrant slurs and then just putting it on the pedal and then just his backstory to you know him getting discharged from the military and what have you. So he seemed to kind of just be in a negative spiral and I guess he was looking for a way out somehow. Um, but the most unfortunate thing is that this guy was doing this really to people who he's in the same boat as. They just looking for a new home. But again, he paid his dues, so I guess he he's an American. But the other Latinos, they shouldn't have a chance. Yeah, we don't necessarily, at least I don't necessarily know his background. Uh, it definitely sounds like uh, he has a Hispanic background, Latino, and that's fine. At the same time, I I definitely agree with you in this thought that what is it? The thought that. I'm not you or I'm different from you and you're harming me in some way. It's so strange to me, this thought of, oh well, I am a good person of color and you are a bad person of color because you aren't a citizen. Like it just, it is wild to me how people lack empathy and they're also creating this divisive force. And as we had talked about that first story in terms of the mass shooting that was going on in Allen, Texas, that was perpetrated by an individual who is of Latin origin, Hispanic origin. And the thought that now we're seeing this rise in white supremacist organizations and joining in neo-Nazis from members of the Latin community. like. It's it's absolutely disgusting and disappointing in part because it's like, do you think that these white supremacists aren't going to call you names or mistreat you in some way? Like, get out of here. It, it just, I, I really don't understand what's going through people's minds. But then again, also, I don't understand the shade against these migrants. And especially right now that's going on, the situation that just happened in Brownsville, it could get worse in the coming week because it's gonna be the end of Title 42 on Thursday. That's that Trump era law that largely prohibited migrant entry due to COVID-19. And when it comes to how the Biden administration is handling it, well, it's supporting a bipartisan proposal that would grant a temporary two year authority 
to expel migrants. Listen to what the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, had to say about it on Sunday. Does the administration support the bipartisan bill from Senator Sinema and Tillis that would allow for expelling of migrants for two years, similar to Title 42? Title 42 and the expulsion authority is a public health authority. Right. It is not an immigration authority. We will be using our immigration authorities, which call for a consequence regime, which is why we have to correct the lies that smugglers tell vulnerable migrants. They think they're coming and they'll be able to stay, and that is just unequivocally false. And what I would say to the senators, Senators Tillis and Cinema, what we need is our system fixed, right. not this Band-Aid solution. No, I agree that the system needs to be fixed in some way because we have to look historically that the US government has basically destabilized a number of these countries. So when people come here seeking refuge, they're doing that because we may have played a role in their destabilization. And so we need to figure something out because as far as I'm concerned, having individuals like what is it Mr. Alvarez, having individuals like him hit them with their car and harm them is not it's not acceptable. It's not gonna cut it. Jackson? And um, you know, just to finish off, you know, uh, as you pointed out, a lot of our policies have led to the destabilization in Central and in Latin America in general, especially the drug war, which we are not really that close to ending. We've seen the power the legalization has had in the marijuana market, in the cannabis market, in terms of how that's really just dried up profitability in the streets and lessened crime within that specific uh, drug. But decriminalization needs to continue to happen, and a lot of the reason why gang uh, gangs run. Uh, Central American countries and why there's so much destabilization is because they're making all the money from the stuff that we putting up our noses. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, so much of uh, the destruction caused in Latin America is because of America's drug problem and uh, they selling it to us. Yeah, and the thing is, it's like if you want people to stop using because you want to stop this whole, uh, you know, drug war, gang trade, all this stuff. Then maybe you do focus on mental health services. Maybe you provide social support services. Maybe you realize that people are using drugs to escape their reality because the reality is bunk by virtue of you advancing capitalism and corporatism. Like, it's like it all begins and ends with a lot of the Republican agenda, and yet nothing is ever done except for these kind of ridiculous, nonsensical things that allow them to continue to pocket cash. And among them, is addressing the migrant child labor issue. Because weeks after revelation that, hey, migrant children are being regularly exploited for cheap labor here in the US. Well, bipartisan outrage was swift, but the actual action was not. And as a reminder, the labor issues include this. Migrant child labor benefits both under the table authorizations, or excuse me, operations and global corporations. The Times found in Los Angeles children's stitch made in America tags into J. Crew shirts, they make dinner rolls. Sold at Walmart and Target, processed milk used in Ben and Jerry's ice cream, and helped debone chicken sold at Whole Foods. As recently as the fall, middle schoolers made Fruit of the Loom socks in Alabama. In Michigan, children make auto parts used by Ford and General Motors. We are not only destabilizing a lot of these people's countries and also continuing to fuel their black markets, but then we are exploiting their children. Come on. And really, the worry is that the issue will become entangled here in a long running war on immigration policy when it should be wholly separate in terms of 
migrant child labor is completely and totally unacceptable. But let's turn back to the New York Times. Legislation to crack down on companies use of child labor has gone nowhere and currently has little Republican backing while Democrats efforts to increase funding for federal agencies to provide more support services to migrant children who cross the border by themselves face long odds in the House when the GOP has pledged to slash agency budgets. As Congress prepares to wade into a bitter debate over immigration policy in the coming days, Republican and Democrats have retreated to their opposite corners, abandoning whatever initial hope there may have been for tackling the issue of child labor in a bipartisan way. And just as a reminder, as the number of children crossing the southern border alone has soared at record levels, many have taken on dangerous jobs that violate longstanding labor laws, including in factory slaughterhouses and at construction sites. Yeah, last two years alone, more than 250,000 children have entered the US by themselves. And again, they've been alone and they've also been exploited. The result is basically that the political space is vanishing for any consensus in Congress on a policy solution to help protect these children. In fact, the New York Times had highlighted that the Biden administration ignored numerous signs of this exploitative labor that we knew was going on for some time. And the neglect would often come from the sponsors that children were placed with. Check out this chart. It shows clearly the reports of trafficking and abuse of migrants. To pretend we didn't know is an absolute farce. And the thing is, is it's not just migrant children, it's increasingly become American children too. But before we jump on that train, Jackson, are you as appalled as I am in terms of the fact that our legislature can't come together to pass any kind of meaningful law that would prevent these companies from exploiting these children who are coming here seeking refuge? Well, I mean, like if we can't come together on this, then what are we gonna come together on that matters other than like increasing the military budget, no matter who's in, no matter what administration is in office. But this is just like an incredibly easy issue. This is an automatic yes, no questions asked issue. Let's just make sure that kids aren't working. But also we can't overlook the fact that, you know, given that that that's the case, how intentional and organized it is to have children working in your ranks. Especially as you pointed out, you know, we covered here on Unbossed about you know the McDonald's scandal, states trying to make it so that 16, 17 rows can cut down giant trees. And you know, the reasoning isn't complicated at all. It's just you don't have to pay children as much. And especially when it comes to migrant children, well, you can pay them even less, if nothing at all. They had those 10-year-olds working in the McDonald's and not paying them nothing. But again, these things don't accidentally happen. It's it's quite logical, actually. It's we want more profit, and you don't have to pay kids as much because they're children. But I mean, it's like, what direction is America really headed in? So much of our success was just a sugar high. World War II happened, the rest of the world collapsed, and we're in America is just like ah. But now, you know, it's like military might really isn't enough. The rest of the world is caught up in terms of technology, in terms of strategy, in terms of culture and whatever they're willing to accept in their innovation and their initiatives. And America's literally doing nothing about child labor, doing nothing about gun violence. Going back 50 years, reversing Roe v. Wade, Republican states still going at it. Nebraska, they about to go back after that six week abortion ban. Despite the fact that absolutely no one wants that, um, but that's the state of America. So yes, I'm appalled as well. Yeah, very much so. And I love that you had brought up McDonald's because it brings us to this headline here, I believe last week. Um, that's right, that restaurant in Kentucky, two 10 year olds discovered working unpaid till as late as 2 AM. Yeah, and then also we can go to the Hawkeye state, see this headline here. 
Yep, that's right. Iowa becomes the second GOP controlled state this year to pass repeal of child labor protections. <laughs> People are out here, they are, they are actually advocating to have children in these workspaces where you know good and well, kids should be in school learning. They should also be allowed to be children, but also at the same time, they're not safe. In these workspaces, they shouldn't be around adults like that. It's not okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, for more about what's going on in Iowa, we go to Common Dreams. The Republican said she plans to sign Senate File 542, which removes so called unnecessary restrictions that have kept minors from working in hazardous workplaces and from working long hours during the school year. The bill will, was given final approval by the state Senate on Wednesday, with just two Republicans joining Democrats in voting against it, defying lobbying campaigns by right wing groups, including Americans for Prosperity and restaurant construction industry groups. Wow, that is really special. And I know that <laughs> Debbie Berkowitz, who is the former OSHA chief of staff, she also saw how absolutely ridiculous this is when she took to Twitter and said this. Why is Ohio endangering children and families? There are plenty of jobs kids can do now. This is more than stunning and in violation of federal child labor rules developed by occupational safety experts during Bush years. This is bad, you're damn right it's bad. And it's absolutely, it's disgusting, but it's so the American way. You know, it's taking us back to those times in the early 1900s where you had kids working in all sorts of facilities, you know, losing hands and being put in danger. Covered in soot after they were sent down um, chimneys and the whole deal. It's like we banned some of those things because we knew they were not safe for children. So what's changed? Uh, but then again, if we don't care about kids in schools getting shot and killed, then I guess they can go ahead and die early in the workplace. Jackson. I mean, where else do you have left to turn other than to subjugation when there's no more money to collect? You know what I'm saying? Like, how much more money do these people need? Like, the Republican Party is literally bent on subjugating the middle and lower classes. I mean, well, like, how is that not the case? How is restricting abortion beneficial to anyone who isn't wealthy? How does that help anyone whatsoever? They're they're against a minimum wage. The idea of a minimum wage. The Republican Party. They're against the LGBTQ community. They're against the idea of structural racism. They're against Anything that makes sense, and now the, the unnecessary uh, obstacles in the way of teaching these children how to work with dangerous machinery and take on psychological pressures that they're not mature enough to deal with. It, it's like, you know, what is that other than subjugation? I'm, I'm seriously asking, what are we talking about? Yeah, no, it's it's borderline enslavement of these kids because you're right. They know they can pay them less and they can mistreat them, and those children are less likely to speak up because they don't know any better because they're kids. All it's right. just it's absolutely disgusting. It's a capitalistic way and it's very American. But we will have more for you when we get back. Welcome back to Unboss, Adrian Lawrence filling in for the great Nina Turner. And there is so much going down here in Cali where I am based, including the state's reparation task force that voted Saturday to approve recommendations on how the state should compensate black residents and apologize for generations of harm caused by discriminatory policies. This is pretty big and it could mean a lot in terms of maybe bringing up that whole black income and closing that whole racial wealth gap. 
Well, as part of the reparations, the task force approved what would be a landmark public apology that would acknowledge California's responsibility for past wrongs. Check this out from the AP. An apology crafted by lawmakers must include a censure of the gravest barbarities carried out on behalf of the state. According to the draft recommendation approved by the task force, those would include a condemnation of former governor Peter Hardiman Burnett, the state's first elected governor and a white supremacist who encouraged laws to exclude black people from California. And although that California had joined the union and purported to be a free state in 1850, well, California Supreme Court also upheld the Federal Fugitive Slave Act, essentially allowing for the capture and return of runaway enslaved people. And this happened for over a decade until at least emancipation to a certain extent. And the harms they continued over the years, the New York Times had noted them. A preliminary report made public last year outlined how enslaved black people were forced to California during the gold rush era and how in the 50s and 60s racially restrictive covenants and redlining segregated black Californians in many of the state's largest cities. By participating in these horrors, California further perpetuated the harms African Americans faced imbuing racial prejudice throughout society through segregation, public and private discrimination and unequal dispersal of state and federal funding, the document says. Now it's important to note that an apology like this would be pretty landmark because California has apologized before. It apologized for placing Japanese Americans in internment camps in World War II, for the violence that it perpetuated against indigenous people, but yet, there has not been any apology to black Californians. And also in addition to discussing the acknowledgement, well, the nine member panel also approved monetary reparations, which are significant. So here's some details on the economist backed estimations. One such estimate laid out in the report determined that an address that determined to address the harms from redlining by banks, which disqualified people in black neighborhoods from taking out mortgages and owning homes, eligible black Californians should receive up to $148,000. That estimate is based on a figure of 3,366 for each year lived in California from the early 1930s to the late 1970s, when federal redlining was most prevalent. And to address the impact of over policing and mass incarceration, the report estimates each eligible person would receive $115,000 or about $2,300 for each year of residency in California from 1971 to 2020 during the decades long war. Now all of these are estimates and they're incredibly important because we do know that in California, a recent report found that for every dollar a white family earns, well black families only earn about 60 cents and there's a reason for that. A lot of it has to do with discrimination and being held back intentionally by state sanctioned laws and policies and I think it's a good idea for the government to come forward and do something about it to acknowledge its harms. Jackson, what are your thoughts? I think that you know victories in instances like this show the power of persistence and conviction in whatever it is that you're fighting for. And the reason I say that is because reparations it really is not popular among the American people. It just isn't. It's not something that people necessarily on a grand scale believe is possible. So again, that's why I said when you have victories like this, this is what provides hope to continue to fight for something, even though it may seem like it's out of reach, even though it may seem like maybe it's even something symbolic or maybe something to look righteous. But actual victories in these circumstances remind you that a, a debt is owed that was yeah. not paid. On top of the fact that again, 
that's what politics is all about. And you know, you never know what you can get through. Um, but a debt has not been paid that is owed. And at the end of the day, a discussion needs to be had on what exactly needs to be done about it. So I think that this is great. And again, uh, we all need hope, we all need encouragement. And this is both of those things. Absolutely, hope and encouragement are extremely important. And uh, I hope that this young lady uh, really kind of maybe gets kind of the help that she needs because she's in a really bad situation. I'm talking about a Tennessee student who pepper sprayed her teacher. The video is going viral right now and it caused a little bit of a stir because I had a certain commentary about the issue and I'd love to hear your thoughts. But let's go ahead and watch as this teen did not handle very well when her phone was taken. Huh? Mace? No. Mace is crazy. No, Mace is crazy. No. She just pepper sprayed me. Give me my phone. Give me my phone. God, wait. Hey, hey. No, you can't have your phone. Watch out, watch out, man. Don't go in there. Now here is some context that was provided by the poster. Uh, this person wrote, girl pepper sprays teacher because he took her phone from her in Antioch, Tennessee. The same teacher two months ago got punched in the face by a different student for taking a kid's phone, cheating on a test with it. Yeah, and then we also saw this comment here. She got her phone taken away because she was texting and Googling answers for her schoolwork. I should also mention that this happened earlier today. All right, and so we know there's other um, other uh, footage out there on this, but I definitely like to have this conversation because it seems that some people, well, I let me say, I guess, number one, the, the thing is, is how that young lady responded, I, that wasn't okay. What she did is she assaulted that man and that's a battery, that's not okay. Uh, and she's likely going to be prosecuted for it. I do not dispute that, I think it's a problem in terms of her response. My issue is taking away students' phones. And that's where my issue stands. I think that that is extremely important that students be able to have their phones in part because we have not created safe spaces for them in schools. We have mass shootings happening on the regular for these students. Also, these students are often mistreated or abused and they need to document something in the school. We know this because we're starting to see video come out with how these educators are treating them. And on top of that, children have lives and their emergency situations as a parent. The thought that I could not reach my children in the middle of a lockdown, I think that's completely and totally unacceptable. So my thought is that if a, if a child is cheating in some way using their phone, you take away the test, you fail them, but you don't touch their phone. Jackson, what are your thoughts? I think that's a good approach for a variety of reasons. One, I think what you pointed out about just you know the fact that we have different types of incidences of school shootings and then just whatever other type of important information could happen. No, like when I was in high, I got my first cell phone at 14, but that now people have them at two, three years old. And they're, as you pointed out, it's just, it's kind of like your second self, it's your digital self. So taking that away from somebody could have repercussions. Maybe you have uh, alarms on there for you to take medications or whatever it is, just as an example to show that people use their phones for so many more things than just texting. But also um, just uh, on another level, like whether it's this situation or something else, sometimes it's not necessarily worth provoking people because of what could happen afterwards. You know, so like I could be in a situation sometimes maybe I have really annoying neighbors and, and I'm speaking reality. 
you know, sometimes it's better to just look past it because if I go up here and knock on this door and go off on you and you say something back to me I don't like, then violence may happen. Now, now it's my fault. You know, and it would be my fault. You feel me? Like, cause I didn't have to go yeah. up there and give you an attitude. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes it's better to just take a breath and just relax because uh, when you cross certain boundaries with people, a lot of the time they they could ha- uh, they could respond in a way uh, that'll either be violent or just something that you weren't really ready to handle. So I think yeah. that uh, he could have avoided that if he just didn't take her phone. See, and I, I absolutely agree with that too, because I think that that's a conversation to be had uh, as far as that teacher goes. Because when you saw that young lady start to lose it, then you should have realized this is going to create a bigger situation that could threaten the safety of the students in this class. So let me just give her her phone back. And yeah, I might expel her, I might kick her out of class, I might call the principal or some law enforcement authority, but my God, just give her her phone back. And the thing I'll also bring to mind in terms of the safety of these students and these kids and why they need cell phones. The fact that this woman, this young girl had pepper spray on her tells you she is in unsafe situations often enough that she has to carry this weapon to defend herself. Do not take her cell phone. It just It's something that I just do not understand the need to exercise this dominion over students when if they're not gonna learn, they're not gonna learn. You taking away something that is an absolute lifeline and imperative to them should an emergency happen is completely and totally unacceptable. And also seeing that they're responding in a very vitriol violent way that could endanger the safety of other students. Cuz if she pepper sprayed him in that classroom, which I understood she did, that means that pepper spray is floating around and it's hitting other students. It would have been better as you noted, just to give her the phone and then handle the situation from there. But I don't understand the need to feel you need to take it from her. Anyway, any last thoughts, Jackson? No, I agree 100%. And especially the older you get, the more you just have to realize that, you know, people, when people are offended or when people are, are made to feel insecure for whatever reason, um, our response is to defend ourselves. And especially when you're dealing with kids and something like that, you know, you just got to be careful with people. You just, yep. you just got to be careful. Emotional intelligence is important. Exactly, and I don't know if that teacher had it because even when she had pepper sprayed him in his eyes and he was in that hallway and she reached for her phone, he snatched he like, it back. <laughs> like right, he was and like, I'm no. just like, and that's what told me this is about exercising power. This isn't about uh, preventing the girl from cheating. And even if she was cheating, all you got to do is fail her. I don't understand the need to allow this situation to escalate when you have other options to exercise. But then again, again, that's just me. But I will die on the hill of don't take children's phones. You can fail the test, you can put them in detention, you can kick them out of the classroom, call the professor or call the principal, do whatever you want. But they need those lifelines because we've created situations in which students just aren't safe. Then again, those are just my thoughts and I appreciate yours today, Jackson. Can you tell the wonderful viewers where they can find you? Yes, you can catch me on Rebel HQ and also on my YouTube, youtube.com slash at politics and paper. We YouTube partners now, baby, we did it. So check me out on uh, politics and paper on YouTube. But it's always good. I didn't even know I was gonna be on here with you until uh, I got the email. I was like, oh, cool, we gonna kick it then. It's always a good time, so. Always a good time. All good things. Thank you so much for joining me and thank you all for watching today and also sharing the love in those comments. And I think there's a good chance I may see you tomorrow. In the meantime, stay unbothered, unbossed and all sorts of unruly. Enjoy the day.
Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.